Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Alicia Buetes. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Today, we are speaking to my good friend, Dr. Lisa Fortein. During our studies together at Stellenbosch University, we shared a common interest in nanotechnology and biomaterials such as Kaidazan. She finished her PhD at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Her PhD focused on biodegradable polymeric prodrugs for targeted delivery of artemeter lumefantrin, which is a drug used to treat certain kinds of malaria. But today, we are speaking to her as a postdoctoral researcher at the KTH Royal Institute of Technology. She is currently based in Stockholm in the Malkoch lab of precision polymers for the healthcare industry. They are building a bone fracture adhesive based on degradable polymers in a layered system, set to replace traditional metal plates and screws. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and remember to share this episode if you liked it and subscribe. Firstly, welcome to Panama Science Podcast. I am so glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having <laughs> um, me. It's a really interesting topic that you are working on um, in Stockholm in the Molkoch lab. Am I saying it correctly? Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> Before we start, I would first like to ask you, um, so you've just started your postdoc with the KTH Royal Institute of Technology uh, in the beginning of this year? Oh, yes, in the beginning of this year, right? So it was um, about at the end of March, which oh, right. was obviously okay. a very tricky time to start any kind of new job. Um, so we got one of the last flights out of South Africa. I actually wanted to ask you, how was that experience? Like, how has the experience been just from moving from... Uh, South Africa to Sweden in such a short time and then also with the whole lockdown situation approaching like how was that for you? It was pretty intense um, I think moving to a new country in itself brings a lot of challenges you have to get rid of everything and plan a new life um, so that in itself is challenging obviously saying goodbye to everyone um, and trying to keep in touch as well but with the pandemic, it just made it tricky to actually start in the lab because um, KTH closed completely about a week after we arrived. So, well, at least that gave me time to do a lot of reading, which was good. Yeah. But um, South Africa's lockdown was much more um, intense than Sweden's, as I'm sure a lot of people know. How did the um, opportunity came about? I never really asked you about that. Like, how did you hear about um, this postdoc in Sweden? Um, so I've always been interested in biomaterials. And uh, my background is all about taking polymer chemistry and translating it to the healthcare sy system. Um, so 
I've been following a few groups over the years, as you do, um, reading their their articles. Um, and KTH is a really, really good university, so I've always kind of been interested in the uni as well. But um, Prof Malkoch has been doing amazing things in the field. Um, and then my professor... Um, Prof Klumperman for my PhD thesis. So he could connect me with Prof Malkoch and we could chat about projects. That's great. That's nice to have like yeah. a, a nice inside connection towards someone because it makes it more personal. Exactly. And, yeah. It's nice that they're actually like that our supervisors are so good in helping us, you know, c- continue our academic careers. It's awesome. It is. Like, there are lots of options after PhD. Um, So I think a lot of people start stressing when they graduate. Don't even get me started. I was definitely one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like a freelancer for quite a bit after I got my PhD. Exactly. Because it's this huge project that you've been working on for four years. And when you're done, you kind of feel... Now what? Yeah. (laughs) There's a psychological effect called the letdown effect. And it's basically when you do something really big um, and there's a lot of hormones that come into play and you're operating on such a high level. um, And then when you finish the task, um, you're actually more prone to crashing <laughs> because your your body's kind of prepped you for the stressful situation and you've been operating um with like more adrenaline and cortisol so afterwards you kind of just crash <laughs> and there was even a study where they um they proved that people are less likely to get sick during the high stress situation so your body wow. your body keeps you operating and keeps you going and then after the event, you'll like you'll get sick. That's so interesting. That I need to read up on that. I didn't even like you hear of all these uh, interesting things that people are now understanding more about people's mental health. Like even the imposter syndrome thing. You know, like there wasn't really a name for that when I started feeling it. And then someone said imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, that describes exactly what I'm experiencing. And then you realize that you're not the only person feeling like that. And it's yeah. kind of just a normal thing. The whole fake it till you make it. Yes. <laughs> really interesting. But yeah, just to get into it. Um, so you have mentioned briefly that you love uh, researching biomaterials and working with natural materials that can improve people's lives. So what exactly made you decide to take on this research in specifically bone fracture adhesive development? I think that I've always been drawn to actually taking technology to the consumer as well. So that was also a really important um, kind of aspect with me with this group because Prof Malkoch is the the founder and CEO of two companies, um, Polymer Factory and Biomedical Bonding. So those will be the companies that will actually make the commercialized product. So he also has really strong ties with industry and government agencies. Um, 
So there's a lot of infrastructure to actually get the technology to the consumer. And yeah, I felt like I just wanted to be a part of that team. I'm actually a part of the Bone Fix project now, which is a collaboration with seven different partners. Wow. Yeah. That's quite e-management. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually great yeah. to be part of research that, you know, the project is kind of, have, it has an end goal. It's not just for the sake of research. It's actually perhaps going to become a product that can be useful for people and, you know, kind of, you know, actually being applied in the real world. Exactly. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah, it gives you like a sense of purpose and it increases your passion, I think, as well. I mean, um, even if you are doing blue sky research, everything is also, you know, you're like adding to the body of research that's available. And I'm sure that everything out there has an impact in some way or another. Like someone can read yeah. it from a different research group and have yeah. a bright idea based on your idea. So... I mean, everything yeah, is everything works yeah. together in the end. Yeah, that's true. Do what you are curious about. I yeah, guess. yeah. So um, I'm sure several listeners have been wondering now. We're speaking about bone glue. Um, what is bone fracture adhesives? If you can just explain to the listener that doesn't know anything about polymers, um, could you tell me a bit about where the idea of bone glue came from and for what purpose it can be useful? Sure. So a bone adhesive is basically a glue that would cover the bone fracture and it would be injectable. So you wouldn't have to have a massive surgery with anesthesia, with general anesthesia. You could just inject it to the fractured site and it works by um, curing. So you can use a dental curing lamp and this would then harden the, the liquid um, and set it. So that's, that technology is based on what dentists are using for tooth fillings. Um, and the, that system is based on an acrylate system. Um, so the drawbacks of using an acrylate system is that... It is fairly toxic. Um, it leaches out toxic components. So it really wouldn't be feasible for use inside the body. Um, so what the Malkoch lab has done is to use thiol-eme chemistry. Um, so I know you said we should keep it quite general. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's a cross-linking uh, reaction. And it's between a ene group, so a double bond, and um, a thiol. And this creates these crosslinks. And you would basically have your precursors, which would make the solution. Once injected, you cure it with a UV light, and it forms a hard polymer network. I wonder how I could describe it to people, but if you imagine like a spiderweb, basically, almost... But then just yes. like uh, yeah, the network type of formation that it forms and it's very strong. Um, it's not reversible, exactly. right? The network isn't reversible, anything like that. So um, once it's there, it's in that structure. Well, it is stable for the amount of time that we want it to be stable. Uh -huh. So that's... And then it gets to the yes. Yeah. 
it's it shouldn't be permanent because we actually want the body to be able to degrade it and break it down over time um, because uh-huh. the bone heals itself it's an amazing yeah. material you don't want something like that to stay in the body because it is still foreign and it can cause issues after a while if you just yeah. imagine all the autoimmune responses that are occurring from people that have implants and things like that so yeah there's always complications that could occur along the line Um, and we've obviously seen a lot of complications occurring with the standard care which Mm. is the metal implants yeah i wanted to ask you about that how does this bone glue compare to the standard things like metal screws and stents so there are quite a lot of advantages to using a bone glue as opposed to the metal implants. Well, um, firstly, what I mentioned previously is that it's a non-invasive procedure. So when you're using metal stents and plates, it's an open surgery. It's quite a large surgery. You have to go through um, general anesthesia. A big problem in a lot of developing countries and South Africa as well is that people don't have access to safe surgery. So by streamlining the application, we could actually have the product reach a lot more people. The fact that you know, that people are moving away from these open surgeries and these invasive operational procedures that are just reducing their quality of life and increasing their you know, recovery time and all that. And it just exposes you to so many other possibilities of viruses and infections and you know if you're already old and you need and that's usually when you need a bone fracture type of uh, treatment and then you have to like go under all these like you said anesthesia and no i i really i'm so glad that there are people like you working on ways to just avoid that whole entire horrible experience completely it's amazing yeah (laughs) it's it's also really important for people that have osteoporosis and Mm -hmm. it's actually been called the silent epidemic because about half of all women over 50 and about one in four of all men over 50 will actually suffer from an osteoporotic fracture um, so it's it's a really, really big problem. And when you have osteoporosis, your bone density actually decreases. And it's very tricky for the surgeon to be able to apply the metal implant. Um, so when you have a break that is that results in um, a, a lot of bone fractures, so they call it a concomitant break, then it's really quite impossible to use screws that would set the bone in place because there are so many fragments. You're going to need a lot of screws. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then also sensitive places like the spinal cord. I mean, you wouldn't really have to worry about those sensitive places because it's a liquid. So there's much less risk. And it's taking up less space in the area that's so sensitive and, you know, I can imagine that's actually brilliant. Yeah. What are the various requirements of bone glue? Like if you're selecting components for a bone glue, what are you looking for? So there are quite a lot of requirements and 
this is probably why there aren't any bone adhesives available on the market yet, um, despite the evident clinical need that we've been talking about. So some of the requirements are that, firstly, there should be adequate adhesion to bone. So obviously you have to have strong enough bonds to the actual bone, but then you also have to have strong enough bonds between the adhesive. So there's two different types of adhesion that you're looking for. So you're looking for adhesion to the bone and cohesion between the actual polymer network. Um, besides that, it has to be mechanically stable for the correct amount of time and it has to be stable under tension, compression, um, and also shear forces. And it also has to degrade within the amount of time that you want it to, to degrade in. So that's about three to six months. And that's the time that the bone would regenerate by itself. Wow. So besides that, we also want it to be biocompatible. And we would also like to make the experience for the surgeon as streamlined and as easy as possible. So the surgeon should be able to conduct the application process in a very straightforward manner. The setting time should be fairly quick. Um, and yeah. then I'm assuming it needs to be precise. Like if you're saying it sets in five minutes, it always needs to you know exactly but um the system actually sets in seconds sure and it's also only with the application of uv so it doesn't set when you're still busy with it it's yeah it's 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 very much accelerated in uv light in a normal normal light circumstances it's quite stable over the time scales that we need in a clinical setting that's like nice because you can control it it's not like it's if it once it's exposed to air or whatever it just starts setting on its own and you're just like rushing to get the job done yeah so there there will be a application system where you mix the active ingredients before the surgery so all of those risks are kind of mitigated how how have you broken up the systems on working on this bone glue who is developing what and like What's the different types of systems that are going into developing this bone glue? So my group at KTH is broadly divided into um, a section that is mainly focused on hydrogels. Um, it's also a really um, advanced group for the synthesis of dendrimers. So we have a few people that are only doing dendrimers um, and then a third of the group is doing the bone adhesives but of course we have a lot of translational work in between the broad sections which helps a lot um, so in terms of the bone adhesive we um, some of the fundamental work has been done by Dr. Victor Kranzkork um, and he's been in the Malkoch group for a few years now. Um, and then Dr. Daniel Hutchinson is leading the new project, um, the Bone Fix project. So between the three of us, we're three postdoc researchers. 
we um, are making the precursors, the polymer networks, um, and then we have a lot of collaborators um, and then they'll be doing some of the testing on the actual adhesive because there are a lot of properties that need to be tested before we can actually do any human trials. Um, nice. Yeah, but so we have two, two systems currently underway. The first system, okay. which is the already um, published, it's the FRAP system, which is the fiber reinforced adhesive patch. And Ooh. those components are, you have a primer layer, and then you have the actual layers of the thiol-ene cross-linked monomers. And the monomers that they used in this case was um, triazine core monomers, which is a mainstay of our technology because these monomers are highly rigid and they form high strength networks. They're also non-toxic. So crucial, <laughs> crucial. <laughs> and then that system also has a layer of polyethylene terephthalate PET fibers. And then all components also have a filler content of hydroxyapatite. Okay. So the fibers, do they electrospin them? No. So the fibers are, we, we purchase the fibers. They are medical okay. standard sheets of fibers so they're like macro fibers yes all right but i i would imagine that nanofibers would be quite interesting to explore i mean yeah, both of us have a lot of yeah, experience like, you would know like the electrospinning fibers that we had in our in Santa Washington university they were you know very versatile you could use them for almost anything especially the kaitasan ones you know, for wound healing yeah. treatments. And I've spoken to someone who was interested in using them in other regenerative, um, you know, medicine, medicinal uh, applications. So they they could possibly be considered for something like this. Yeah, and chitazan is an amazing, like, biopolymer. But they might be too biodegradable, maybe. Like, they, they might be, be able to degrade too quickly. It's actually, it's interesting that you'd say that it's a very good point because the previous system the frap system is not actually biodegradable so oh, there are okay. components in it which are not biodegradable under the conditions that we need them to be oh so it might be good to introduce something yeah so really that's cool. why we, <laughs> yeah that's why we have developed um, improved systems where we have introduced segments within the original structure to make the whole polymer adhesive degradable. So for wow. example, as I mentioned, we the group is quite advanced in the synthesis of dendrimers and they've made biocompatible and biodegradable dendrimers which um, we would like to incorporate within the networks. And then this would cause the whole network to be degradable as well. That's clever. So now we're speaking about degradability. Uh, it seems like it's a very important characteristic of the bone glue, a very crucial part. So how, how would this feature be incorporated into the bone glue that you say, like 
tell me a bit more about how you are making this bone biodegradable and how you are also bringing in the time scale so that it will be degraded by the time that the, the fracture is actually healed. Yes. So the way that we do this is by synthesizing monomers and precursor materials that contain ester groups. Um, so a lot of, I'm sure a lot of groups that are working on um, degradable systems, they use these ester linkages, which can hydrolyze in the sort of environments that you would need, so in the body. And these ester bonds would then cause the degradation of the system as a whole. Um, and then when we synthesize the monomers, you can tune the degradability by introducing um, different alkyl chain lengths or, you know, some monomers would maybe not have the ester groups and some would. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot about optimizing the system. There's a lot of parameters. There's a lot of things mm -hmm. that you can tweak. I'm assuming there's also a lot of trial and error like you're trying yes. it, it doesn't quite last as long or it lasts too long <laughs> yeah but luckily um the the Malkoch group has been optimizing for a while so they really have some of the most probably the most advanced um bone adhesive system currently so I feel really lucky to be working um, with their group on this particular issue. So they've done uh -huh. a lot of optimization in the past few years. It sounds so inspiring to just work with a group of people like that. It, it really is. It's, a, it's an amazing work environment. So um, how strong is this bone glue? Uh, like let's consider, like you talked about a very severe fracture, like let's say someone breaks their femur. Um, what are the limitations of this bone glue? How, what type of load can such an adhesive handle? Um, so we have compared the FRAP system to the only industry standard that is available, which is the acrylate-based um, dental adhesive. So um, we've, we compared it to this adhesive, which is clearful, and we found that the system was 55% stronger than this adhesive, which is really impressive because it, it's really, really impressive because um, the enamel of teeth is stronger than bone. So, I mean, the strength to bone is, is not really a concern to us. We know that the systems will be able to perform. But I think the tricky thing is to be able to tune your system according to different types of materials. So we actually want to make our system universal. We want to be able to apply the knowledge that we have on the bone glue and use it for things like cartilage tears or um, nice. tissue tears in, in lungs or the heart. And you, you have to tune the mechanical properties because you need a modulus match between the actual tissue. Um, so that's basically, you can't use uh, super strong 
bonding on a material that's softer you need to have a similar type of modulus yeah and it still needs to be elastic and move exactly yes but there are ways that we can tune the system Um, you can use different flexible cross linkers Uh, we've used peg quite successfully Um, yeah we actually published a paper recently where we could tune a hydrogel to three orders of magnitude um, to basically match the different moduli of tissues. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yo. Yeah. So um, are there other methods that is, um, you know, other methods to making bioadhesives? What other type of um, natural bioadhesives are available? Because I remember you spoke about biomimetic polymer design. And I was wondering, like, how does that compare? Like, is that basically the same thing that you're doing? Or is it something completely different? It is a different approach to bioadhesives. So our system is a synthetic system. um, But our previous work was um, inspired by nature. So biomimetic is basically where you try to create a material that mimics nature because nature okay. is the best blueprint yeah. for anything. I have to like tell you, when you said biomimetic polymers, I actually never really, I'm not familiar with the word biomimetic. So I had to go uh-huh. and look it up and I found this interesting article by Shao and Stewart about um, sandcastle worms <laughs> and the glue that they use to just uh, put anything together on the bottom of the seafloor. And I was just like, so they actually just used their, um, the protein, the opposite, oppositely charged proteins and calcium magnesium components in that glue to basically mimic the glue that the sandcastle worms were making to make their own... Yeah synthetic version of that it's amazing yeah a lot of groups are also working on and also something we did previously in the group was to draw inspiration from muscle feet or muscle feet proteins (laughs) so the muscles found in the ocean that stick to rocks (laughs) yeah um so they secrete a specific uh secretion that scientists were able to isolate um, and they found that it is mostly made up of dopamine. So a lot of groups are trying to or have succeeded in attaching dopamine to polymers and you can create a glue in this way. Oh, that's so cool. Like I just, I find it so interesting, like what you just said now, like inspired by nature because uh, it's already out there. So, like, what are they doing? That's the, the secretions that they are making. Like, we have to like be able to learn from yeah. that and try and trying to reinvent the wheel if it's already out there. <laughs> it's just silly. I think it's very difficult for us to get close to those systems, but we try. Um, yeah. Nothing's better than nature because wow. there's a lot of things happening besides just you know chemistry on the bulk phase. There's also a lot of nanoscale events um, causing van der Waals forces as well. So it's, it's also to do with the type of nano shape um, oh, yeah. and how that actually has an influence. For example, uh, gecko feet 
Um, they have a very specific um, pattern and this causes adhesion to walls and surfaces. Um, and then another example is also like octopus tentacles. They have these little disc shaped <laughs> um, on the nanoscale. If you yeah. zoom in, oh, well, yeah. You've said earlier that this is not tested on patients as of yet. How close is it to being tested in the real situations? Um, the FRAP system was tested on animals um, and a okay. cadaver study was also done. Uh, so that, that system is very, very close to being commercialized. But in terms of the bone fix project, which is the project that I'm currently in, um, it would be about four years until its completion. And then okay. the human trials would start after that. Well, we said, like, I'm looking forward to the day where I see, you know, the bone glue out there helping improve their quality of life, you know? So, I mean, obviously you, you feel like you're, you're just a small part of the overall system. There are so many people uh, leading yeah. the project and um, we have so many partners. But oh, yeah. I guess with really big projects like this, everyone has to play their, 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 yeah. their role in it. It's a team everyone effort. Has. Yeah, I think there's a lot of researchers out there that feels the same, that like, ugh. Oh. You know, <laughs> I'm just trying to do my little bit, but you're actually a crucial part of it. So, like, you're paving, if not now getting it successfully out there, right, at this moment, you're paving the way for the next researcher, the next postdoc person to come in and yeah. take it the next step. So, it's still very, very cool. Everybody has their role. Yeah. Exactly. Like, um, the first thing that someone told me with my PhD, when I started my PhD, was like, even if it fails, you're still going to write up about it and you're just going to tell me how it failed, why it failed and what, what the people shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. Can't yeah, the then they don't have to waste their time making the same mistakes. <laughs> so yeah, so that is it. <laughs> we ran through our questions very quickly. It was so fun speaking to you about this. Yeah, it was really, really cool to talk about it. And I'm really looking forward to a future where it is the norm and where a bone glue doesn't sound crazy. Yes, that's amazing. And I didn't even know that bone glue was already used for dentists. I didn't know that. Well, um, yeah, my... um, a, a type of technology. I mean, oh, yes. it's inspired on. from that technology, but okay. it is it is very different in the sense that a bone glue needs to function in a very complex environment, which is inside the body. Um, mm. And with the, the dental adhesives, it's a lot different um, mm. in terms of the biological barriers. Oh, yes. No, because my father-in-law is a dentist, so shout out to him. Like, I hope he's listening. <laughs> we call it tooth glue. <laughs> <laughs> tooth glue <laughs> oh, but thank you so much Lisa I really appreciate that you talked to me today it was really helpful and I'm sure people are going to love listening to this and learn from all the information that you gave us thank yeah you so thank much. you so much for having me it was really really great talking to you thank you so much thanks Alicia bye